How many of you ever set out yo-yos on a lake? All right, yeah, okay, I don't feel so strange. And in order to set out yo-yos or set out a trot line, we had to have shiners or minners, right? You know what I'm talking about? And so what we would do is we would get a net. We'd go cut two poles, and we would tie the net on these two poles. And we'd get out there in the midst of all the muck and the dirt and the cows, and we'd take those poles and we'd stick them down in, in the bottom, and we would drag the net to shore. How many of you ever did that? Very few. You, country, you see folk. Okay? And we would drag it to the shore or to the land, and uh, then we would look at what we got, and sometimes we'd get some amazing critters in our net. Well, in our lesson today, in Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to be sharing a parable that I'm going to call the parable of the saying. Now, you won't know it as that if you've read any of our Lord's parables. This is called the parable of the dragnet, okay? And let me kind of explain what Jesus is doing, and then we'll kind of read it and kind of jump into it a little bit. Back in those days, of course, it was an agrarian society, but also fishing was a big thing, okay? And so they would fish sometimes like poles like we do, and sometimes they would fish with a, a guy uh, wading out with a little net and throw the net out and kind of draw it to himself. But most of the time, especially if it was commercial fishing, they would take a big, big net, and either one would stand on the shore and a guy would get out in a boat or sometimes two boats would get out there. And they'd have this big net. And on the top would be some corks or something to help it float. On the bottom would be some weights. And what would happen is they would, they would take this thing and they would stretch it out. Say two boats would stretch it out. And the net, the bottom of the net would go all the way down to the ground, okay, to the bottom of the, of the lake. And they would begin drawing the net in, okay. And when they would draw the net in, they would draw it to shore, and they would then begin looking at what they, of course, what they caught, and they would begin to make a distinction. They would begin what's called a separation or a division. Now, what they would do is the, the, the good fish, they would put off to one side, and then they would either eat it or sell it or whatever they did. The bad fish, they would throw it into a pile, and then they would discard it. Sometimes they might burn it. Uh, certainly they would throw it away. What they were doing is they were keeping the good fish, but they were throwing away the bad fish, okay? Now, that's kind of an intro into what I want to share with you today. Would you stand in honor of God's Word? Matthew 13. I want to begin reading verse 47 with you, okay? I don't know if, by the way, I don't know if I'll get to this. Um, on our parables we've been doing, this is the final parable of what's called judgment parables. Jesus has been doing these, and this is number seven, which is a parable. Uh, the number seven is kind of completion, okay? And I've kind of been in and out of these, but what I want you to know is Jesus is drawing it all together here. And it's tough stuff, gang, but it's important stuff, okay? Verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea, a saying, okay? And gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach, and they sat down, and they gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad, they threw it away. Now here's what, how Jesus interprets it. So it's going to be 
at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out of the wicked from among the righteous, the good fish from the bad fish, and will throw them into the furnace of fire, and in that place there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus, in verse 51, he turns to his disciples, okay? And he says, do you understand all these things? And frankly, I think they lied, okay? They didn't understand it any more than we all understand it, okay? They got a handle, though. And then Jesus said, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now, Father, I need your help, and this is important stuff. And I pray, God, you'll give us ears to hear. You'll give the preacher a mouth to speak. But, God, give us all a heart to sense your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Be seated. Keep your Bible open if you would, okay? Out of all the parables that our Lord told, I don't know if there's any parable more than this one that points to the final judgment of man. Out of all that he's told, some have a view toward it, some talk a little bit about it. But out of all the parables that Jesus told, none deal with the final act. None of them deal with the final judgment more than this one. Now, there's judgment mentioned in the Bible. There's what's called remedial judgments, which is the disciplines of God. That's mentioned from time to time. Those are the judgments where, because God loves us, he disciplines us. Like a father who loves his children disciplines his kids, okay? However, this parable is a parable that points to the end of all time, when final judgment occurs. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that when final judgment occurs, then it's going to be the end of all time and that there's going to be a separation that's going to take place. Now, in the parable, the emphasis here is not on the good fish. The emphasis is on the wicked. Let me, let me define for you the wicked, okay? The wicked are those who have left God out of their lives. Not necessarily bad people. Not necessarily bad daddies. Not necessarily bad mommies. The wicked are those that are so caught up in life, so ingrained in the things of this life, that they just really don't have time for God. And so they leave God out of their life. The wicked are those who fail to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is sovereign Lord of their life. That he is the one who died on a cross for sin and he is Lord or master of their life. They have other masters. It could be a job. It could be family. It could be recreation. 
It could be a lot of different things that they've placed ahead of God and the wicked, the bad fish in this story are those who leave God out, those who fail to acknowledge that Jesus the Christ is the Son of the living God. Now, it may sound an awful lot like the parable of the wheat and tares that we looked at several weeks ago that's really earlier in this chapter told, okay? But there's a major difference. In the parable of the wheat and tares, the emphasis is on people living together. The emphasis is that believers and non-believers are doing life together, coexisting together. They work together. They, they play together. They will even go to church together. The difference in this last parable is that it's not life together. Life is over. It's the end of time. It's the time when God has ordained that it's all going to end, and on that ending there's a time when everyone is going to stand before a holy and a righteous God. When Paul was preaching his wonderful sermon in, 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 in Acts 17 at Mars Hill, more of a dialogue than a sermon, I guess. In Acts 17, verse 30 and 31, here's what he said. He said, God is declaring to men that all should repent because he has fixed a day. He has established a day. He has taken up, if you will, a stake and, and he stuck it in the ground. God has a day established when he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, furnishing proof, by raising him from the dead. Of course, he's talking about Jesus Christ. Gang, let me tell you where the sermon came from this week, okay? We're beginning to wind down on some of these parables. There's a few more that I really want to do, if Lord be willing. But I know we're beginning to wind down. And this week, I, I began, you know, God, what are we going to do? You know, kind of thing. And... Um, Wednesday, I had to leave class. On Wednesday, we're doing an uh, evangelism training, if you want to call it that, called The Way of the Master, okay? And um, what, what we're doing on Wednesday is we're, we're giving some tools to people so that if God were to open an opportunity, they would perhaps effectively, at least biblically, try to share their faith in Christ. Some of you don't come. Shame on you. You ought to be here, okay? That's not my sermon, but get it while I can, okay? This, this past Wednesday was the Wednesday when we began to hand out some tracks, okay? And tried to help use those tracks to break ice, maybe introduce, to build a quick relationship, okay? I had to run to the hospital. Before it was over, I, I, I went to the hospital. Luke and Stephanie's baby was in the hospital, and, and I just felt in my heart I needed to go. And so I left out before it was over, and I, I went up to the hospital and visited a while. And then and it was kind of late, and when I got out, I, I, I was hungry. Uh, my spiritual gift is eating, you know. And I just got really hungry, and so I went through a drive through 
And it was the drive-thru where, you know, you place your order, then you go to one thing and you give the money, you go to the next, pick up the food. You know what I'm talking about. I want to tell you something, what God did to me. I, I went through the drive-thru, and I went to the window, and I looked at a gentleman, a young man, and it hit me, Tom. You ran out of church on the Wednesday that you used tracks to try to help people understand a little bit about Jesus Christ, and you had nothing to give to him. Then you went to the next window, and a nice young lady there gave you your and she was so happy. Man, have a great meal, you know. Enjoy your meal. And I'm thinking, fat hamburger, sure, you know, clog my vein. But she was so good, and I drove off, and I thought, you know, Tom, you didn't even have a track. The very night we were training people to have some kind of an idea about Jesus, you gave her nothing. The next day is when I began to read some more parables. And I came to the parable of the same, the dragnet. And I thought, oh, dear God, dear God, what if the net were to be drawn today? What about that nice young man? What about that sweet young lady? What did you do, Tom, to at least introduce, if not influence, them for Jesus? Hence, what I'm going to be sharing with you today. Two things that I want to get out of this parable. Number one, I want you to see that a separation is... Gang, this is not play school. This is not nursery. This is life. And so the first thing I want to do for a few moments is I want to talk to you a little bit about the separation that's coming. And then the second thing, which is kind of even harder, I think, is to talk to you about the suffering that's eternal, okay? Now, the fact of the matter is, I, I, you, you may think this is a negative sermon, okay? Well, it's really not. It's a positive sermon, especially for the good fish. It's a positive sermon, okay? For the bad fish, which may be you today, it's not just a negative sermon, it's a damning sermon, okay? The good fish have heaven waiting. The bad fish have hell waiting. And that's going to be far worse than anything that I'm going to share with you today. Now, the challenge, I think, for us, first of all, is to discern what fish we are. And that's what I want to challenge you with. If the net were to be drawn and pulled to the shore and the separation were to exist to take place, my first challenge to you is to discern which pile you would be in. The second challenge I have for you is for you to think about your family, and your friends, and to think about those 
that when you drive through the drive-through, that take your money and give your food. Which pile would they be in? Well, let's start. First of all, there's a separation coming. The net has been cast. The fish are caught even though they don't know it right now. They're swimming around so freely. They're thinking like many of us think, why be negative? Why think about all this bad stuff? And why think about all this religion stuff? Why think about all this end of time stuff? Why worry about all the negative? Man, we have all this time to enjoy, all this fun to have. And yet ever so slowly, time marches on. And the net of eternity slowly begins to encircle, ever so slowly tightening around the fish. Now let me share some things with you about the separation. Several things I want to point out. Number one, first of all, the time of the separation is set by God, not man. The time of the end is set by a holy, righteous God when he's ready. When Paul was talking to those in, in, at Mars Hill in Athens, he said God fixed a day. Gang, listen to me. God has predestined a day when the nets will be drawn to shore. God has predestined a day when judgment of man will begin. You understand that? That's not your time. You may think you have all the time in the world. I want to tell you, you don't because you don't know. God alone knows. And you need to be aware of that. The second thing is this. Man rarely, rarely ever thinks about time. Christians don't think about time. We're caught up in the stuff just like many of the world is, you see. We rarely think about time. Lost people never think about time. If there's one thing the enemy does very well to us, that he gets us so filled with activities and things and events that we seldom slow down long enough to think that the end could happen at any time because God alone determines that time. Now, the third thing about this I want to share is that the time could be today. Gang, listen, while we're swimming in an endless sea of life, the end could be. While we're caught up in the things of the world, while we're caught up in life, and even with the pressures, good things, not bad things necessarily, but while we're caught up in all of that, the end could be today. And there's a fourth thing. This morning as I came to church, I, I jotted down a fourth thing. And that is this, that I think the good fish should live like the end is coming 
And the good fish should live their lives so that others may see that the end may be coming. That we live in a way that we represent Jesus Christ. The word judgment is not used in this parable. In fact, the word separation is not used, but it's obvious, isn't it, what, what Jesus is saying. The word judgment actually does mean to separate. It means to discriminate. It means to divide. Here's what's happening here. At some point in eternal history, the good fish are going to be separated from the bad fish. Those who are saved, listen to me, those who are saved, those who have been redeemed, those who have been regenerated by the Spirit of the living God are going to be separated from those who are lost. And it's going to be eternal. That means that husbands are going to be separated from wives. That means that, 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 that moms are going to be separated from dads and parents are going to be separated from children. That means that friends are going to be separated from friends. It means the saved from the lost. There's a phrase in verse 48 that absolutely gripped my heart. Look at verse 48. And, and here's what Jesus says. And when it was filled. You see, circle that phrase. And when it was filled, we might would say, we could say it this way perhaps, in the fullness of time, which would be God's time. But it's more than that. If, if you believe, that, like I believe, that God is sovereign in salvation, then that phrase refers to the elect when it was filled, when the elect was complete, when the church of Jesus Christ was filled, when the bride of Christ is complete. It's over. That's what Jesus, I don't know when that is. I don't know how big that's going to be. I don't know the time frame of that. What I'm telling you is that Jesus says, when the fullness of time is here, then will be the separation. The question for you and for me this morning is this. If it were to happen today, where would you be? Has the Spirit of God regenerated your heart? Has the Spirit of God quickened your life? Has he made you alive? And has that been followed by repentance of sin and faith? and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Gang, we call that conversion. And conversion means, by its very name, a change. I don't know if you've heard, but just the last couple days, Chuck Colson died. You heard about that? Gang, listen, if there's anybody that, that bears an example of conversion, it's Chuck Colson. Man, he was caught up in, with Nixon, and he was caught up in the in the Watergate scandal, some of you weren't even born then. I remember it, you know. And Colson was even said to be the most feared man in the Nixon empire, or whatever you want to call it, okay? Arrested, sent to prison, there found Christ. And the rest of his life was lived for the glory of God, for the, the help of prisoners to tell them the wonderful story of Jesus. If anybody was converted, there's a man 
through the Spirit of God regenerated the heart and through repentance and faith demonstrated that he was now good fish, that he belonged in the kingdom of God. You see, I believe those who are saved understand that they've broken the law of God. And in pure justice, the penalty of sin must be paid. And dear people, the wages of sin is death. The, the penalty of sin is hell. And let me listen to me. God doesn't take delight in that. God's not excited about that. God, God's not willing that any should perish. God's not excited when, when through justice people go to hell. No more than a judge is excited when a murderer stands before him and he must pronounce judgment. The judge must do that because that's what justice calls for. God must do that because he's a just and he's a holy and he's a righteous God. But God doesn't take delight in that, my friend. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants all to come to repentance. The lawbreaker needs a law keeper. The lawbreaker needs a law completer. And didn't Jesus say to us that he came to complete the law? Hmm? Only a substitute, a perfect, holy, righteous law keeper can satisfy God's holy wrath against sin. You know, dear people, that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's Jesus Christ, God the Son. That's the Lord Jesus who took all of the penalty on himself on a cross and shed his blood that the sheep may live. Let me ask you now, has your heart been regenerated has it? Has the proof of that been demonstrated by hungering and thirsting for holiness and righteousness? Listen to my heart. I think our churches are filled with those who have made some kind of decision, but no change. The Bible tells us that those who are the redeemed of the Lord have a hungering and have a thirsting for righteousness. There's something within them that drives them daily to God. Daily repenting of sin. Daily faithing the Lord Jesus. Dear people, listen. There's a separation coming. Which pile are you in? And then secondly, if you look at verse 49 and 50, there's a suffering that is eternal. You see, the terrible fate of the unrighteous is not left to our imaginations. Jesus had more to say about hell than he did about love. Jesus had more to say about hell than, than anybody else. And Jesus here tells us what it's going to be like. Jesus says, first of all, it's going to be a furnace of fire. And then Jesus says, it's going to be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Okay. Now, the fact is that people can argue with each other about religion. It's not that big a deal. 
People can argue with each other even about spiritual things, and it may not even be that big of a deal. Preachers debate theology. I love to read it, man. I, it just thrills my soul to see this debate on theology. But, you know, in the final analysis, it really doesn't mean a whole lot, you know. Churches can debate policies and practices, and we can talk about we like this, we don't like that, and we get caught up in all that hoopla of, of all this church stuff, you see. And, and while it might be interesting to us, and my, while it might be intriguing to us, it really doesn't mean anything at the end result. But I'll tell you one thing. When it comes to eternal punishment, you better not argue with Jesus. And this suffering according to Jesus will be unimaginable. You and I, on this side of eternity, we can't even begin to imagine what it's going to be like. It's unquenchable. It's never going to end. It's unremittent. It keeps on coming. The suffering will be intense and terrible. And worst of all, it will be eternal. You see, when you read about what Jesus says about hell, you know what you find? You find there's going to be eternal memory. The story of Lazarus. Son, remember. Remember. Eternal memory. Eternal guilt. Oh, oh. I remember that day when that preacher... I remember that day when that teacher... I remember that day when that person came and gave me a track. Give a track, Tom. Just give, at least give a track. I remember when that person came and they took the Bible and they shared with me that, that, that God, for God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that the wages of sin is death, that there's none righteous. No, I remember those days. Eternal guilt. Eternal darkness, Jesus says. Gang, no light, eternal darkness, eternal torment. I want to tell you something. Eternal is a tough word for the wicked. Eternal is a good word for us, isn't it? Man, we like to talk about eternal, man. Boy, it lights our fire, you know. Someone dies who knows the Lord Jesus, and, and you get up here and we sing these songs of eternity, and we sing songs about heaven. Preacher gets up and says, let me tell you about this fine guy, man. He knew Christ, Christ knew him, and we like to talk about eternal. But I want to tell you something. Eternal is not a good word for those that are lost. As a young boy, we'd wade out into that pond and we would let the seine down. And we'd begin dragging that, that seine to the shore. And as we did, it would get shallower and shallower when we'd look in them shiners. Man, we'd be swimming everywhere. And they'd dart here and they'd dart there. And, and man, they thought they were so free. We had them. They just didn't know it yet. Beloved, I'm telling you that the net of eternity ever grows smaller and smaller, closer and closer until the appointed time that God says, enough. John Piper, in one of his commentaries, said that we live in a superficially Christianized society where thousands of lost 
think they are believers in Christ. We live in a superficially Christianized society where thousands of lost people think they're actually saved. I want to close. Look with me in verse 52, and then I'm going to be through. Of course, Jesus says, have you understood all these things? And they said, yes. And then Jesus throws a little parable out there, a real quickie. He says, therefore, which is a summary, I think, of all these judgment parables. And he said, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven. Now, now, gang, that's the call that we have on our life. Do you agree with that? I mean, you weren't saved to sit. You were saved to serve. You were saved to do something. If all you were saved was to go to heaven, then why didn't he pluck you up, right? So therefore, if we've been saved, we've been saved for something, and that is that we become disciples of the Lord Jesus. We have that calling on our life. And he said, a disciple is like the head of a household who brings out of his treasures things new. And oh, what was he saying? He was saying, that, that those who are disciples of Jesus Christ are like the head of the home, and the head of the home has certain responsibilities. I'm the head of my home. I have a responsibility to my family. I have a responsibility, even though they're grown and gone, I've got a responsibility to my children. I have a responsibility now to my grandchildren. As the head of this Williams household, There are certain things that are required of me. Part of that is to help provide what they need. Secondly, to protect them from harm. And Jesus is saying, those who have been saved and those who are disciples have the same responsibility primarily to their household, but in responsibility in the world. What kind of... What kind of daddy would not do his best? We're living in difficult times, and there's not, I understand the job thing, so don't misunderstand, but what kind of daddy would not do whatever he could do, whether it's one job, two jobs, three jobs, five jobs, what kind of daddy would not take on the responsibility to provide for his kids? What kind of daddy would not take on the responsibility spiritually to protect his kids, to teach them and train them in the things of God? What kind of dad would do that? And Jesus said, what kind of believer of mine, what kind of disciple of mine would not assume the responsibility of telling the blessed story while the net is being drawn. Let me tell you something, gang. The gospel of Jesus Christ warms the heart, doesn't it? Doesn't it? That God would save you? Oh, my stars. God, he's not not bound to do that. Listen, gang. God's not obligated to love me. God's not obligated to love. Where we get this idea that God's, there's no obligation. 
God to love us? He chooses to love us. God is a just God. He's a holy, righteous God. If he said, I don't want to love anybody, I'm just going to let them get what they deserve, we're all going to hell, and we deserve every bit of it. He's not obligated to love us. He's a just, righteous, holy God. And yet he chose to love us. He didn't have to, but he chose to. The gospel of Jesus warms the heart, doesn't it? But doesn't the gospel of Jesus warn the heart? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's what the Bible says. Don't you think? Don't you think that if we have good news, we ought to share good news? Don't you think if I had the cure for cancer, gang, I'd be shouting on from the rooftop, I got the pill. If I were standing before a judge, and the judge says, Tom, I don't like to do this, but you've committed murder. And I'm not taking the law. I'm not happy about this, but Tom... Because of justice, I have to condemn you to death because you killed the life of someone. And then someone stands up, wait a minute, judge, wait a minute, judge. I'll take that penalty. I'll become that substitute. I'll stand in his place. Don't you think that the person who is guilty and broken the law and gets pardoned? Don't you think it should change his life? Don't you think that there'll be a difference in the way he lives? Don't you think that every time he thinks about that substitute, every time he hears about that substitute, don't you know, don't you know, it changes everything about his life. The gospel of Jesus warms the heart. And the gospel of Jesus ought to warn the heart. Well, let's pray. Stu's going to come. I said there was two goals this morning. Number one, for you to discern where you're at, which pile. I think you ought to do that right now. And number two, perhaps to think about those whom you love. What pile? What pile? Father, it's not an easy subject to, to talk about hell, for us anyway. I, I think Jesus sure did a little lot. I think he did it not to be mean, and I think he did it because it's so real. And it should be real to us. Jesus talks about it, and we need to be aware of it. So, God, today, right now, I, I just ask, Lord, I, I don't know what I'm asking. Just do whatever you want to do because you will be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. If you have a decision, if you want to talk, we invite you to come. Marvelous God.
Grace of that exceeds our sin and our guilt yonder on Calvary's mouth I'll pour there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled grace grace God's grace grace that will pardon and spend eternity okay how many just raise your hand up for a moment okay I'm gonna ask Stu I want you to keep your heads bowed and as Stu sings here's what I'd like to do I'd like you to pray God I pray you'll glorify yourself in saving and call that name out would you do that several months off and on and he's actually you don't know this but you've been the point of a lot of prayer and uh, Larry came this morning said I I need God in my life and he said I just feel his conviction and he said I'd like to I'd like to be saved and uh, Larry uh, came this morning and gave his life to Christ and if you're excited it's Steve's brother this is a cool thing so if you're excited about that 
That's what's called grace. Steve, Steve, stand by your brother if you would. God saved Steve about a year or so ago out of a pit. We're all in pits. Uh, he was in a good pit. And uh, and now his brother. Isn't that so cool? So cool. Well, amen. Good to have you today, gang. Listen, um, Chris will be dismissing us. I'm going to ask him to stay right here when you're when we're through. Would you come and love on him a little bit? And, um, and just have a great week, Chris. You need this. Guys, I don't have anything, but that's cool. Man, what a privilege to be able to be here today and witness that God's grace working in you guys' life. And so if you're excited about that, please come and greet them in the name of Christ. We love you guys. want to remind you but so the women aren't mad at me. Uh, the women's ministry has a simulcast on May 5th through 6th. Priscilla Schreier, yeah, her. Priscilla, they're going to do a simulcast. And, and uh, great ministry, great speaker. And so if you're interested, if you want to buy a ticket or if you have questions, see the ladies at the back table. Guys, we love y'all. Please come and greet these folks and uh, have a good week. You are good, you are good When there's nothing good in me You are love, you are love Display for all to see You are light, you are light When the darkness closes in You are hope, you are hope You have covered all my sins You are peace, you are peace When my fear is crippling You are true, you are true 